everybody, and welcome to the Pour Over Podcast, where we seek to share the table with storytellers and seekers alike, hopefully and almost certainly over a great cup of coffee, where we seek to help you flourish and want to see you flourish in your mental health journey. We're your hosts, Jonathan Coggins. And I'm Kyle Ridgely, and I hope that this is a space that is safe and inclusive for all. Welcome to the table. Welcome to another episode of the Pour Over Podcast. As we always like to say here, welcome to the table. I'm your host, Jonathan Coggins, and I'm joined by my other host, Mr. Kyle Ridgely. What's up? How you doing, Kyle? Doing good. Doing good. Doing good. Got some days off. Focus on some more self-care and things like that. So, yeah. Good to yes. Go. Taking care of that mental health. That's what we love to hear. Here at the Forever Podcast, so good stuff. How how is your how's your day off going so far? Pretty good. This is the first one, you know, just taking it easy, doing the staycation vibe, you know, not doing anything. So except for reading, reading. Yeah, staycations are nice for sure. Um, I guess how I'm doing. It's been a busy week. Mm. I'm I'm glad. Um, for the weekend and a three day weekend of that, you know, because uh, the fourth and having the extra extra day off on Monday, uh, yeah, definitely ready for that rest. So, all right, guys. Well, we will just um go ahead and jump into this. Um, I we we we've had a a similar um episode and conversation if um. Y'all want to go back and reference that and listen to that. It was uh, with Bridget Eileen Rivera talking about um, how um, LGBTQ people, um, you know, receive harm within the church and just better pass forward and, and talking about that. It was a great conversation. And so today we have Mike Mashiro on. Mike, did I say your last name correctly, by the way? If you want to be technical, it's Maya Shiro. Maya Shiro. Okay, got it. Mike Maya Shiro on. And, you know, I'll, I'll just let him share um, who he is and, you know, just um, a little bit about him so you, you guys can uh, get to know him. Um, but before we start, first off, I want to say, Mike, I'm a fan of the mustache. Just, just, just got to throw that out there. <laughs> yes. Um, because being being a bearded man myself, I, I appreciate some fancy and good looking facial hair. So, um, Mike, you informed me that you are not a coffee drinker, which is okay. We don't discriminate here. Um, normally, we ask our guests at the beginning, since we are the Pour Over podcast, you know, that reference to coffee. Um, usually, we ask, like, what's your favorite coffee, your brew method? So instead, I'll ask you, what is your favorite caffeinated beverage or pot beverage or beverage of choice to kind of get you going for the day? What does that look like for you? Wow, I've never been asked this on a podcast interview before. 
Um, so if I go to coffee with somebody, usually my go-to beverage at a coffee shop is a chai. So I usually like hot mm. and some chais are better than others, right? I don't know exactly the technicality behind why I love or don't love a certain chai that I get, but generally they're usually pretty good. And that's my go-to. I don't do it every day. It's like, I usually get it obligatorily because I'm at a coffee shop, you know, mm. I enjoy it, but it's not something I go out of my way for. So I like, I drink vitamins in the morning every day. <laughs> like that's my routine, nice. but. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll get a chai when I'm at a coffee. That's a, that's an excellent choice. And I'm going to, I'm going to shout out, uh, just cause you said chai and you made me think about it. There, there, there's a great Instagram account, um, to follow is he's called cross culture Christian and he, he does a lot about, um, like traditional chai. Um, really fascinating account. Like he does videos on making the child, like boiling it and the whole process. It's just really fascinating and cool. Um, so go check out Cross Culture Christian if you like chai. Um, right. It's cool stuff. Um, nice. Yeah. All right. So we will just go ahead and, you know, just dive head first into this. Um, really want to start out, Mike, with um, if you would just kind of share. Um, a little bit about you know who who you are, where you're at, what you do, and then just a little bit about um, your own journey. Um, you know, identifying the LGBTQ community and like um, that that journey of you know discovering that, coming out, like what that was like. Those just navigating that. Like if if you want to, you know, just just share all that. <laughs> Great. Um... Yeah, let's see. Okay, so for, for the first question, who I am, what do I do? Um, I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I moved here about 10 months ago. Um, I, <laughs> my career has changed a bit because of my coming out as a gay man. I came out publicly four months ago at the recording of this. Um, so I used to speak at a ministry school, like teach at the school. I used to travel and speak in churches. Um, and you know, I have most of my content on social media, so I'm a social media influencer. A lot of my content was about the gift of discernment and spiritual intelligence and, you know, kind of, I guess, pithy wisdom in the charismatic stream is probably the technical denominational sphere that I was in. But a lot of that has changed over the last couple of years, especially the last several months uh, from a public facing perspective because of, you know, what I'm advocating for and speaking out against and addressing. So now a lot of my work is um, there's a coaching branch of my company called NUMA. And so we do spirit coaching. It's life coaching with an emphasis on the spiritual. So I oversee that operation. I have a few different groups that I run online every week. Uh, there's a deconstruction group. There's uh, a queer community group. We have an allies group now that just launched this last week, which is exciting. Um, and another one on the nature of provision and prosperity in the spirit world, <laughs> which sounds crazy, but uh, it's a really cool group. Anyway, so I do those classes every week. And then I also just create a lot of content online, uh, my podcast, YouTube channel, social media accounts, just continuing to circle the conversation around queer people, um, anti-gay rhetoric, uh, the deconstruction of that stuff. And then, um, so that's kind of like me now. My story behind all this, um, I've been heavily involved in the church world my whole life up until a couple of years ago. I got saved, is the language I'd use when I was four, 
<laughs> because I didn't want to go to hell. So I like, you know, begged Jesus to come into my heart and save me. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, just became a really good Christian, got really good at playing the game at, you know, coming across the way I was supposed to saying the things I was supposed to say, not saying things I wasn't supposed to say all the things. Um, then I did, uh, I went to a discipleship training school with YWAM. Um, which landed me eventually in at Bethel Church in Redding, California, um, which is a very charismatic, you know, hyped environment. Um, and I was there for 12 and a half years. And at that, when I went to that school, I also got hired on staff at the church there. I worked there for six years. That's when I started teaching at the school. I led mission trips out of the school. I took interns from the school, traveled and spoke under the Bethel logo or the brand, if you will. Um, so my life became very much entrenched in that whole environment. Um, and I had a deconstructive bent to me my whole life. I always like, you know, enjoyed thinking critically about things and holding our beliefs accountable and where is this going? What kind of fruit is this producing? Does this line up with, you know, the message of Jesus and the, the gospel? So, you know, I was always asking questions and whatever, but um, I think the flair to my story that, you know, depending on your audience, <laughs> they may or may not love what I'm about to say here, but um, I, uh, when I was 18, I, I'll say I met God for the first time. Um, I had a really dramatic experience of encountering God. I didn't know you could know God in this way. Um, even though I'd done the church thing for 14 years up to that point, I didn't realize that God was accessible, was a person, was knowable. We could have affection and intimacy with this being. I didn't know any of that. Um, and then eight months later, I had another experience, only it was more dramatic. And in that experience, I got this message from God, <laughs> which sounds so dramatic, but um, God told me they wanted me to stay the way I was, which was in that conversation, my concern, my relationship with God was the fact that I was gay. I was like, God, please heal me. You can fix and change this. And it was this dramatic encounter. Um, and God was like, I want you like this. And I couldn't accept that. I mean, I accepted it in my heart between us, but I never admitted that to anyone outside of that experience. Um, and so moving forward from that, I had probably six or seven other dramatic experiences like that where I'm getting, I'm explicitly being communicated with beyond my desire or expectation. I'm being told from by God, stop trying to change this. I want you like this. You are exactly the way I want you to be like that kind of rhetoric. I'm putting words in their mouth. This is not the verbiage they used, but that was like the continued theme over 14 years of my life. And I kept ignoring it. I mean, I didn't ignore it. Like I was responsive to God between us. I just never told anyone about any of this. I never admitted it to people. And everything I did in my life was to try and fix or change my sexuality. Cause I was being told from my environment and my leaders and everyone else around me that I was broken, that something was wrong with me, that this is a result of abuse or, you know, a chemical imbalance or like being molested as a kid or you know, like needs that weren't met or whatever, just I had, they had all these really strange specific explanations for why I was broken. So I kept pursuing all these different avenues they suggested for me to fix it. And nothing budged my sexuality in the slightest, not once, never, nothing changed there. Um, I might have grown emotionally in certain ways, or, you know, my understanding around certain things about human emotions or psychology might have, I would say, improved in some ways. But I also got a lot of really bad stuff out of that experience and a lot of bad like theology and rhetoric, and it was very harmful for me. I didn't know how damaging it was until I finally came out. And after that, the aftermath just started, you know, revealing itself. But in 2020, right before the pandemic, I had a series of what I'm going to call encounters. Um, 
there were three of them that culminated in like the final one of that three part experience was the linchpin or the straw that broke the camel's back. Like at that point, I could not deny what I was hearing from God and the ways that I was not compliant or not surrendering to their voice in my life. And I couldn't do it anymore. Like I was so implicated, felt so convicted and, and sorrowful on such a deep visceral level of being a queer person in a non-affirming environment and not contesting the harmful theology we continue to preach from this stage that queer people are broken, that they're unacceptable, that God can't like receive them like this, that they needed to change. Like the attitudes, the, the um, obstacle course, the hoops we put these people through. I mean, I went through them, right? And then I was complicit with the platforms and the systems and the voices that were perpetuating this narrative for people like me, all of a sudden it was no longer acceptable. And so I had to clean that up between me and God first. And then, you know, that trickled out everywhere. And I would say this was like, I would say like a complete repentance because I actually changed my life after that, right? Like I started doing research and listening to anyone who would say anything affirming about queer people because I had listened to the non-affirming message my whole life. It was like, it's time to learn anything else. Is anyone else saying anything else about this? And I'd never been willing to listen to people like that before that. And so I was shocked at like the amount of work that had been done in this area, the amount of books and like scholarship that was available um, refuting anti-gay theology it was shocking, like the level of questions that these people presented and the findings that they had and even just etymology and scripture, but like all the other things that come into this conversation, I was shocked. Like some of these questions I've personally never thought of before. We are obviously not doing our due diligence here. This is not a, uh, an objective conversation we're having. We're very biased. <laughs> um, and so I got to go through a whole journey and version of repentance in that process, which was deeply painful. Um, and so liberating at the same time. And so that was a process and journey. And then I started coming out to people around me, first my immediate circle, and then it just kept growing out of there. And, and then so I started traveling the country, and just visiting important relationships in my life and coming out to those people. And that was a mixed bag of experiences. And then February 1st of this last year, I came up on all of my social media platforms, I released a one hour video of my coming out story on YouTube. Um, and then that, you know, was when everything <laughs> changed and now i've you know become like a front-runner voice for queer theology advocating for gay people who actually can love jesus and follow jesus and fully be participating in the kingdom of heaven in the body of christ zero um exclusion or second-class citizenship or stepbrother stepsister stepchild status none of that like fully included in this whole thing that jesus has been up to from the beginning uh yeah, I'll stop there. But that's kind of like the gist. Yeah, I I love that. Um, and one 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 thing that I that stood out to me there, and if you don't mind, you know, kind of um, enlightening us, uh, you know, kind of giving these because I I think I think questions are an excellent place to start in any of these journeys, like deconstruction, uh, like questioning the conversation around sexuality you you mentioned there 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 were some questions you had never thought of in this journey what are what are some of those questions that you came across that really really helped give you a starting point or shed some light on some things yeah great question man it was so long ago i've i'm gonna see if i can remember some of the specifics um matthew vines wrote a book called god and the gay christian and a few times 
Matthew was advocating for the humanity of a gay person in this conversation the church was having around sexuality, specifically homosexuality. And he pointed out how um, if celibacy is a gift, for example, and Paul and Jesus only talked about it as if it was something that was divinely enacted by the Spirit of God, right? And it wasn't something people worked into or developed. It was something that they were gifted in, called to, whatever. If this was a gift, like any other gift we observe in Scripture, it's actually unethical and dishonest to demand that from anyone when we are not the ones who arbitrate the, the allotment of these gifts to people, right? And so the church's solution for gay people in a lot of denominations is that they need to remain celibate. Like we've moved to the point in some Christian spaces where we're like, hey, your, your sexuality, your sexual orientation isn't in and of itself inherently sinful or wrong. Fine, we'll give you that. However, you can't do anything about it. You cannot engage in it. You can't move down that path of desire um, for intimacy in that way. Uh, you need to remain celibate. And so Matthew was calling out like, hey, celibacy in the Bible has these parameters and these limitations and this nuance attached to it anytime it's ever referenced, which by the way, it's not referenced a ton. And when it is, it's always within this context. This is a double standard to put on a whole group of people when that's not how the Bible treats it. And I'm like, what the, this is a very good point. I think he did a really good job laying out logically how this doesn't actually line up with our um, understanding of how we apply scripture to people's lives in general. Um, so that was one that like really struck me. I was like, that's a really good point. There, I mean, he has several of those in his book. Um, I've read, I don't know how many, read, how many books I've read on this, but like different people have their, their different reasons for why this stuff doesn't line up, why it doesn't add to the conclusions we've come to. Um, I could think more about other questions, but that, I'm not drawing any at the moment. Uh, let's see. Wow, I've got to go back to my notes. What all did I look at? Um, yeah. Justin Lee, Justin Lee wrote a book called Torn, and his book was mostly talking about the conversation between gay people and the church and Christians, right? And he mentioned how our terminology around someone identifying as gay, uh, he noticed that the vernacular was different when Christians showed up. Christians used terms like same-sex attracted or struggling with your sexuality or whatever. And everyone outside of the church would say, like, I would say that I'm gay now. And that took me some work to even be able to say that, right? I couldn't identify as a gay person that was like betrayal to my community. It was heretical to say that, but it was also dishonest to say otherwise. And I just always felt like I was lying whenever I would use language like, yeah, I struggle with my sexuality. I struggle being attracted to men. Uh, you know, I was always finding these weird ways to say it without saying that I was gay because there was an identity factor to it. But we were finding that Christian, Justin points this on his book, like there are a lot of Christians in ex-gay ministries who are claiming to have changed to not be gay anymore or to not struggle with same-sex attraction. Or they would say they're not gay because they still struggle with being attracted to the same sex, but they don't do anything about it. They don't act on it. Um, and he was like, wait, 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 that's not the same as saying you're not gay. That's just saying you're not like expressing your natural desire. Everyone else isn't saying that. When everyone else says they're gay, they're not talking about the lifestyle they're choosing to lead. They're talking about their natural inclination, right? And so that distinction I thought was also important for Christian conversations because I still know people right now who are running influential ministries who are literally doing this exact thing that I'm describing right now. And I, through my process of like pulling this stuff apart and having these conversations, I'm like, that's straight up lying. It's dishonest. This is yeah. manipulation. Not, this is not integrity. This is... Uh, this shouldn't be happening from Christians who have like a platform or influence and are especially speaking to people in a vulnerable position 
who are a marginalized group specifically within the church, like this is dishonest, right? Anyway, so, I mean, there's a lot of those things that we could go down. I don't want to derail us, but like those types of things as they came up, I'm like, that's a very, I mean, I'm avoiding like theology, right? But we can get into the theology. That's a whole other rabbit trail that I think I'm trying to avoid because that, I mean, I don't know if I'll be able to stop, but <laughs> there's so many double standards and hip, hypocritical like positions we take when it comes to the Bible and what it even means to us and how we use it that are contradictory to what we see revealed in the nature of Christ and what the New Testament church was doing. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think that's good. And, you know, especially if, if we have any listeners that um, are questioning their sexuality and they may be in a Christian context and they're not sure what to do. Um, I, I think what you just said is those two big points you made, I, I think is super helpful to somebody that may be, you know, navigating that. Um, so thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in, in your journey and, you know, journeying with others and doing what you do now, um, we, we, we talked about this in our episode with Brenda, but, you know, just getting a, a different perspective on this, um, what kind of, uh, struggles, um, whether that be, uh, you know, mental health or uh, health care, you know, what, what kind of struggles have you seen maybe in your own journey or uh, as, as you're journeying along with others um, and, and just ways to kind of navigate that? Are you talking about specifically with like mental health? Uh, yeah. Like, um, maybe it's, you know, disparities in mental health, maybe it's disparities in the healthcare system. Maybe it's, you know, which, you know, stuff like healthcare and housing intersect with our mental health, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so what, what kind of things have you seen, like I said, maybe in, in your own journey or journeying alongside others? Yeah. Great. Um, okay. So I don't know that I'm gonna have a ton of opinions <laughs> that I would care to like assert on like mental health, uh, like healthcare providers and what that looks like in America. Like that's, that feels like a whole conversation that I am not equipped to. Yeah, no represent. worries. Well, but in terms of um, my own journey and emotional and mental health coming through this coming out process, um, I, I'll start with this. Talking to Christians <laughs> about this and trying to come out to them and like express where and why and how and whatever that was in and of itself such a harmful process to have to go through and i in hindsight i'm like i don't know that i would have done it the way that i did the level of um what's the word the level of like scrutiny i subjected myself to because i thought i owed that to my relationships um man that was really taxing it was very difficult um I don't, I mean, I don't think a lot of people would have been able to go through that and come out on the other side of it, you know, without some severe like limp. And I still am like recovering from what I did there. Um, but I also, you know, have a ton of privilege in this process. Like I have a ton of amazing people in my life that I get to connect with in different ways who are brilliant. And I know that's not true for everyone. And so getting to have those voices and the access that I've had because of my influence and getting to pull in different experts and 
you know, people doing amazing work here. Like I've had that going for me in the midst of all this pain and struggle. So um, I don't, I wouldn't recommend that to an average person, like coming out to like have all those conversations with all those people uh, because on the other end of that part of my process was so much pain and betrayal and feeling gaslit and silenced and misunderstood. And not just like, oh, they don't get it. It was like, oh, they don't want to get it. Yeah. These people do yeah. not want to understand me. They don't want to understand what this is like. They don't want to understand why I got where I did. They, they don't, that doesn't matter. Like they want to end up in a position where they feel like they're not compromising their morals and their theology. So what my experience was and what I was going through and the ways I was being harmed were secondary to their theology. And I'm really disappointed to see that. Uh, I think that's so inhuman and void of compassion and so problematic for anybody to have their theology prevent them from being able to have compassion, empathy, and care for anybody suffering in front of them. So that was like deeply troubling for me and seeing it on repeat and that there were these patterns of blindness that Christians had towards someone like me going through something like this. It was shocking. Um, it was weird how political it got quick, how quickly it got politicized. I'm like, what are we even talking about? You know, like that just kept coming up for people. They're bringing up arguments and questions that weren't, that I was not like broaching. Um, and so I kept becoming a sideshow and kept being like, put on like the back burner for something else that they were more concerned about. And I'm over here bleeding out. I'm like, I don't understand how this is, how this is playing out. This person knows me. Like, how is this what's going on? So that was really painful to experience and have to go through um, the boundaries I've had to establish in my life at this point, and the level of like conversations I haven't had with people who were important to me. Like there's still such a fallout from this. And so that's a, that was a huge taxing like toll on my social health. Like that was really expensive for me. And then um, having come out, getting to feel for the first time in who knows how long, this deep pain that came from tr being traumatized as a child, denying a very real <laughs> and central aspect of my humanity and pretending like it wasn't there or vilifying it within myself and hating that part of me and being ashamed and embarrassed and afraid that level of self-distrust and the cognitive dissonance that is required for someone to stay in the church with a sexuality that's forbidden, um, there's so much damage that's done to a human psyche having to go through that. And so once I stopped defending the institution of the church and the rhetoric there, and I started advocating for Mike in my process, the tears just wouldn't stop. They were hot, they were heavy, they were intense, they were forceful. And I, there were times where I didn't even know why I was crying. I could just feel this like pain in my body coming out. It was crazy. Um, and I had some friends like, you know, at that point in my life who were watching me and they just like, there were times where they didn't know what to do. Like, what is that? They didn't know how to, you know, support me or care for me because it was just so random sometimes. Um, but I had so corked that part of my life that to let it out finally was a very messy, visceral experience. Um, and so I don't, sorry, I'm actually, I don't know if I'm answering the question, but for no, me, that's great. Um, yeah, I had a ton of like things I had to forcefully implement into my lifestyle because I started noticing these adverse like effects of this process, you know, the isolation and the depression and the feeling so misunderstood and alone was like a prevalent theme in this process for me. Um, and so I had to like find some countermeasures to like undo some of the like theme of what was starting to become normalized in my experience in that process, especially when I came out publicly, I started noticing some hints of depression. I'm like, whoa, like a couple weeks after it, I just, I would wake up in the morning with not a ton of motivation. Um, feeling pretty empty, pretty gray, pretty vague, 
pretty dull, pretty detached, you know, and that was not normal for me ever. Like I don't live like that. That's not my normal. And so when I started noticing every day was kind of like that, I'd wake up and go to bed with that as my general state. I'm like, Ooh, I've got a problem. You know? So I had to find a ton of specific things. I've like intentionally went out of my way to do to help like counteract that. Um, and that definitely helped upswing, you know, my emotional and mental health. <laughs> My sensitivity to my body and my emotions has increased and my willingness to stop what I'm doing and address it or like maintain standards and boundaries to uphold that has dramatically increased at this point. And just out of necessity, right? I think out of survival, I needed. So I'm a lot healthier now because of it. But yeah, yeah that was some work. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what, what would you say that you have based on your lived experience? Uh, what have you learned about yourself, about uh, the faith, about people uh, that's different now than what it was before uh, you're coming out here? Interesting. Wow, you guys, your questions are so different than things I'm usually asked. <laughs> this is fascinating. Um, that's a great question. Let's see. Uh, well, so one of the biggest things that I'm trying to tackle at this point, and I don't know that I'm doing a great job of it, but it's definitely something that I'm pushing into is theology for Christians is such an obstacle to embodying the love of God in their life. And I'm not talking about just for like toward queer people. I'm talking about toward anyone who doesn't fit the mold of performance that, you know, the evangelical church has demanded of its adherents. Um, There's such a performative standard within Christian culture that if you don't measure up, the, the rules change, the conditions get put in place like automatically. And a lot of us don't even realize we're doing it. Um, and so just starting to become aware of how I was programmed that way. Like I would say the word indoctrination is appropriate for what's happening to Christians going through the church system. I was definitely indoctrinated from a very young age for years of my life on what was true, how to think, how to perceive other people who were different from us. Like it wasn't critical thinking, it was, here's what you're supposed to think. Here's how you're supposed to react. Here's what you do when this happens. Um, I wasn't taught how to think. I wasn't taught how to follow God. I was taught what to think, what to believe, what to do, what not to do. Um, and that wasn't unique to me. Like That's what church people, that's what's done to them. So that's hugely problematic in and of itself. But then um, when you start applying this to nuance and diversity and <laughs> trauma and oppression, like those spaces, Christians are not equipped to show up and functionally participate in a way that's coherent and constructive. Like Christians are stepping into, if they do, if they even are willing to step into a space like that, their hands are tied behind their back, their, eye, their blindfold is on, and they're trying to like have a conversation. It's crazy. Like they're just starting off so stunted already in a few different ways. So just kind of getting more of a grid for where that's happening and how it's showing up my main effort has been trying to figure out the language. Like, how do I speak to people who are still trapped in that world and not just lose them because I said a politicized term or I said something that scares them or, you know, they've been taught to, to tag and flag that terminology. Uh, and I'm not successful at that right now. I'm my main priority before trying to speak that um, was drawing a hard line and being like, I'm going to be very clear about what I am or am not saying here. I'm, I'm not going to let there be any ambiguity over how I feel or what I believe God feels for the queer community, right? I've spent quite some effort being explicit there, and that has been inflammatory for Christians. 
And I think that's a bummer in and of itself, but it needed to happen. And so now it's like, okay, how can I be constructive in speaking to these people who are debilitated by their indoctrinated upbringing at being able to functionally show up in these conversations and actually observe the landscape, like understand the rules that have been at play for people who aren't them, you know, and then how do we move in compassion and understanding and wisdom and what does love look like? Like some of that can't even be considered by Christians because of how blind and privileged they are in the spaces that they were, that they're insulated in, you know? So I think um, a big part of that is like Christians not realizing how supremacist and exclusionary or exclusive their beliefs are. Um, and there was a moment where I was starting to like get on the apps and start like dating men, which was a journey in and of itself. Um, and the people I was coming across and the things that they were saying and the things that were even just in their profile, let alone when they, when I, if I chatted with one of them or like went on a date with one of them, like the things that were normal for them or that they didn't even understand, I was shocked. And there was so much arrogance and like, I was a snob. I was just so much better than all these people. And I was like, what is the deal? Like, why am I, you know, and I got to pull that apart and it was like really awkward how protected my own sexuality was by my religion or my theology right like i was a sexless being for so long so all of a sudden for people to not be ashamed of their desires or to admit what they want to do sexually or what they're attracted to or whatever i was like oh like all of it was a lot and my the response of me was oh i'm better than these people i would not have said that out loud but i started becoming more and more self-aware and i was like ooh, that's where my heart is i actually think i'm better than people. i'm purer and which makes me want to gag when i say it now right but that's where I was, I was like, oh God, this isn't unique to me. This is what Christian indoctrination does to us. Yeah. We judge people this way. And then we inadvertently end up in these positions when that stuff gets revealed or exposed. Like that's where we are. And I realized there was this motive on my end that could justify my engagement here. If I, you know, dated these people or, you know, had these chats or whatever, and it went toward an evangel like an evangelistic end where they started like seeing improvement in their life because of my presence, then this was justified. Then this was okay. And I was like, ew, like where is this coming from? This conditional grooming mm-hmm. <clears throat> like practice in the name of Jesus, you know, like it was so deeply embedded and that wasn't unique to dating. That was true in my life in a lot of ways. Anyone who wasn't a Christian or at least a Christian to the standard that I held myself to, I now got to step into an evangelistic position and be gracious in my benevolence toward helping them. But there was always that condition of where we're headed. Excuse me. This is worthwhile or sanctified as long as they change, as long as they repent, as long as they stop doing these things or start doing these things or valuing these things or whatever. And I was like, this is really bad. This is so arrogant and manipulative and like the word grooming finally came to me and I was like, oh my gosh, we groomed to like believing and acting the way we act and like behaving the way we behave. This is not relationship. This is not love. This is something else, you know? Yeah. And so I don't know. I think I'm getting like derailed, but like these kinds of things were starting to stick out in like very real felt ways that I was like, this is hideous. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I could admit this now is because I was able to see it and like repent for it. Right. So it sounds like through that journey, uh, you have more of a sense of awareness of, of yourself. And that's what it sounds like. For sure. Awareness, consideration, um, compassion. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Man, when you, when you were saying that, um, just, it just made me think about 
uh, how the evangelical church will will have this like pure than attitude when it comes to those that don't you know look or think or behave um like the evangelical church does um and the the many many examples that um I could point out that um they they won't take care of their own house um I mean just like you know sexual abuse within the church um you know racism and purity culture that you know damages women and men you know like but they'll you know look out to uh, queer people or um other religions and oh i'm i'm better than you you know uh, but mm-hmm. you but you won't take care of your own health you know um, right yeah for sure yeah for sure want you to <laughs> assimilate into yeah their, yeah you know uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, how how do you think we can as allies, as uh as people of of who profess to follow Jesus, uh how do we resist the anti LGBTQ rhetoric and what are some kind of better paths forward in mm-hmm. your experience? Can I totally can I like yeah. give a quick just like caveat to this? Mm-hmm. Um just just in case there are any listeners that um, that may be, you know, identified in the LGBTQ community, um, just because, you know, we may not mention any specific examples of anti-LGBTQ rhetoric and all that, but just in case that comes up in this part of the conversation, I just want to take a um, page out of one of our uh, recent episodes. It was about religious trauma. Um, and I, I know this this mentioning anything about anti-LGBTQ, and if you're in that community, um, it, it can bring up, you know, feelings. It can bring up, it can bring up that Trigger. trauma, tri- triggers. That's what I was looking for. And so j- just want to remind everybody that, and Brian mentioned this, um, if you start to feel, if if we, you know, mention any, any anti-LGBTQ stuff in this part. If you start to feel um, that trauma arise or those triggers, um, just want to remind you of that. Um, what was it called, Kyle? It was exploratory um, recentering. Mm-hmm. recentering. You know, yeah. Step away. Yeah. Step step away. Um, look around your environment, um, and. You know, just just kind of bring yourself back to okay. I I am in a safe space. Um, so yeah, sorry. Just yeah. just just wanted to going into this part of the conversation. Just want to remind our listeners of that that um, we we want you to feel safe. And if if you don't, as we talk about this, then just um, step away. Um, feel free to pause that. Yeah. So all right. Totally. It's great. Um, so for the first, my, my first response to the question is for people who are not queer. So if they're like allies or wanting to be allies or whatever, 
the first step for theologically minded Christians regarding the queer community, I would say this is true for any marginalized group, but I mean, just for the sake of this conversation, for the LGBTQ plus community, you must first detoxify your own theology. Um, if you're not willing to do that work, you are not safe for a queer person. Uh, the rhetoric, the indoctrination that comes from church pulpits traditionally regarding gay people is anti-gay. We understand why. We look at the six cloud passages and then the gender complementarianism and all the things that they have that they pull from to try and justify oppressing queer people that all are refuted and debunked. Um, none of that is valid. None of that is accurate. But the fact that it's still so popular... Um, as the person in this conversation who maybe wants to not participate in persecuting and harming and oppressing queer people as a Christian, you need to change your theology. It's not enough to say, hey, I don't agree with you being gay, but I don't need to hate on you for it. We can both just agree that we love Jesus and not have to do this. I'm like, yeah, some people, even some gay people might accept that. I refuse to accept that. That is not safe to me. That's not honest. That's not love. That is um, unaccountable. Um, because it's not a, a preference issue. It's not like, oh, your culture is different from mine or our upbringing was different. That's not acceptable anymore. Like this is a, an ethical issue. So um, I'm not trying to be intense, but I do feel intensely about this because of how many people have tried to get away with, well, Mike, I love you. I just don't want to love gay people. And I'm like, yeah, that's, <laughs> those things aren't separate. They have this idea in their mind that there's some hetero version of me that they were used to before I came out. And that's the person they want to maintain relationship with. But that person was me in the closet was me deeply like in denial of who I was and living a, a repressed version of myself. So their refusal to take responsibility for their toxic theology um, and to change it was a refusal to accept who I am. Um, <clears throat> like the full, honest, vulnerable, raw, authentic version of me, <clears throat> excuse me, which Jesus is not asking any of us to hide. Like Gay people should not be doing favors for Christians by, to not offend them by being gay. Like, that's not the gay person's fault or problem. It's the bad theology that needs to go. So um, I think that's step number one for most Christians is you need to do the work, whatever work is required of you. And not everyone has the same amount of work that needs to be done. But how much of your belief about who Jesus is and what the gospel is, what the Bible promotes, is actually still harmful, like what Christian nationalism or bigotry or racism or whatever you want to call it, whatever version of like exclusion you've adopted that in the name of religion, you need to undo that. You need to recognize that God is not this person. God is not endorsing that, that <laughs> everybody is included in this kingdom. Um, that is the offensive nature of grace and the gospel is that there is no exclusive line that we get to hold against anyone. Yes. That's not what it's about. Right. And so if that's not something you can settle into that you can accept that you can preach, I'm like that you need to start there. Do not, Ask gay people to help you figure this out. Go do the work. There's tons of resources available at this point. Um, so for example, easy cop out for me is I've got a whole link on my website dedicated to queer resources on people being able to detoxify their theology. There are books, there are YouTube videos, there are podcast episodes, there are Instagram influencers to follow. Like there's lots of different aspects that people can engage in. There are articles to read, right? If they want to start wherever on doing the work of changing their theology to no longer be a rock grower in the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, it starts there, uh, at least mm -hmm. for Christians, especially that that is a non-negotiable for me. And so in any space that I'm responsible for and that I lead, if anyone brings up an attitude that promotes theology, that harms, uh, dehumanizes, oppresses, marginalizes a queer person, 
I will be addressing that immediately. Everything mm -hmm. will stop and that will be confronted. It is not tolerated in my environment anymore mm -hmm. because of how harmful it is, how ignorant it is, how bigoted it is. It's so unsubstantiated. It's like embarrassing at this yeah. point that we still have to do this, but that has to change. So hopefully I've <laughs> been clear on that. Yeah. It has to start there. If there are questions, you need to pursue those questions. You don't just like ignore that and let the gay person suffer mm -hmm. for it. Let them pay the price for what you don't understand. That's your responsibility. So go clean it up. Um, and it's not fair that we have to do this, but we were taught from our pulpits for so long, really bad theology, really bad misapplied exegesis of what the Bible actually is pointing to, what the message of the cross even is. Like we have missed it in some pretty significant ways. And people like me are bearing the scars. Our lives are protesting and confronting that. So it's time to repent. It's time to clean it up. It's time to humble ourselves and make this right. This ministry of reconciliation is not getting people to pray the prayer and act and live like us. It is repenting for ever allowing the idea that there was an enemy in our world to exist in our minds in the first place. That these people were ever opposed to who God was and that we had to vilify them in our minds and we had to change them in order to get them to be. That whole idea is unbiblical. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Stop. That's good. That's good. Um, what about those that on the other side that maybe not a Jesus follower? Um, mm. like what, what kind of resistance and changing as far as, um, anti LGBTQ things would you say? Yeah. So if we're stepping away from the theology conversation, I would say, um, Hey, you need to know some human queer people, like have relationship with them. If you don't know any queer people or it's like a distant relative or someone you run into every once in a while, I'm like, yeah, that doesn't count. Like if you don't know someone intimately, if you're not in their life, if you don't have like some level of like intimacy and, and vulnerability in the relationship, then you don't know a gay person and that's okay. Just admit it and clean that up. Why are there no gay people around you? I would ask that question. Like you, we are all accountable for this. And this applies to like other races or ethnicities, this applies to other socioeconomic classes. Like the question should be asked of us, why are there no, those kinds of people around me? Why is my exposure to them non-existent? Why is my proximity so removed from their experience, right? Like that is such a limiting existence you're walking in if that's where your world has landed. Um, so I would say one thing that we can do is like befriend people. Don't tokenize them and then use them and then have your token gay friend so you can check a box. That's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I'm saying actually see this person, witness their humanity, have a relationship, let their plight affect you and then contribute to their well-being. Is there something you actually have to give to their experience that can actually lift a burden off of their life that you don't even notice, that you don't even experience, mm -hmm. right? So growing in your awareness of your own straight privilege mm -hmm. <laughs> and realizing mm -hmm. that this person is waking up every day in a world where they're put up, they've got 20 pound weight is put on their shoulders that you don't ever have to, to wear. And they have to wear it every morning. They go to bed with it at night. Like they don't get to take it off because of the world we live in, not because of who they are, because of the state of the world we're in, right? So if you're someone who's like not having to bear that burden, become aware of the people who are bearing burdens and help lift that burden, help shoulder it with them, like show solidarity. This is what Jesus did. And Christians are so blind to this. Like, um, so uh, I would say a really humanizing uh, practical step would be to have a relationship with someone who's, you know what I mean? Like just like letting them be in your life, being in theirs, pursuing connection, prioritizing, like 
letting them be a recurring theme in your experience. That would be something you can do that I think would be really eye-opening and would expose a lot you would never figure out with books and you know interviews and whatever. Um, so I think that's a really good step for people. Um, be mindful not to use this person. They are not your instructor. They're not your teacher. They're not your resource. They're not your guide. They're a human, right? And so the goal of this is not to use them or to make your life better or to wake you up. The goal is for you to care for someone who's not like you and realize the ways that you've been blind this whole time. And then you get to take that awareness and go do the work of not being blind, hmm. of recovering your sight because Christ has healed you. Go gain your sight back. Witness their humanity. Um, there are lots of other things that I would, I would say that at least like start there, get around them. Um, another thing that you, if you don't have someone practically available, um, <laughs> there's a lot of media, like a lot of entertainment even that you could watch that would expose you to queer lives and queer struggles and queer experiences and queer love stories. You can watch those things and witness the humanity that's being portrayed in the media. Like there's, there are so many great queer movies and shows out that you can watch and like witness what it's like to be a queer person in the context that you find other movies and characters that could also help. It's not a, like a, an alternative, but it's maybe a helpful, easier, accessible thing while you're in the process of figuring out where all the gay people are and getting. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you said the word I was thinking, uh, proximity, um, mm. you know, cause that's it, just, just navigating this, this journey for myself and, um, you know, questioning this part of my theology and coming to the other side of it and affirming and, and then I started looking around and watching, you know, like this anti LGBTQ stuff that, um, not only comes out of the church, but from, um, lawmakers and, um, yeah conservative political talking heads and you know uh even people that i know uh and you know <laughs> just always asking the question have you have you never sat down with somebody from the queer community have have you you not have you never interacted with a person from the queer community like um proximity is one of the biggest things that helped me on my journey um, so yeah, I, I love that. Um, that's good. Um, so we just got a, got a few minutes left. I know you got to get out of here, Mike. Um, so we'll just end it off with where can people find you? Where can people engage with you and the work you're doing and um, your courses? And, you know, as always, we'll put this stuff in the show notes so you can, um, engage with Mike, but yeah, give us all that, man. Yeah, sorry, you, the recording cut out for a few seconds there. So I think you're asking me to just share like what things I have available resource-wise for this. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just, uh, just asking uh, you know, for you to give us all the ways that we can engage with you, with your right. courses, um, okay. all that. Great, thanks. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so easily, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok, uh, my name, at Mike Mayashiro. Um, I'm cranking out content on the daily in those spaces. So that's a great space just to get free content, right? Um, I have a YouTube channel and a podcast that I release a new episode every week. Um, it's called Confessions of a Reformer. That's my podcast. And then my name for YouTube 
Um, so there's content there too. That's all just like free content I'm shoving out there repeatedly. Um, now in this the paid space, we're getting into environments where we're starting to do intentional work. Um, I have a mentorship group called The Rainbow Room where queer Christians gather with me every week on a Zoom call for an hour. Um, and then we have a Facebook page that's private for people to keep dialoguing throughout the week. But we are doing the work of reconciling our faith with our sexuality. And by we, I mean them. I've done that already, but I'm helping facilitate this process. So if you're here queer and you're a Christian and you're, you need a space where people are like you who value their faith and also their sexuality and don't want to have to pick one or the other, that space is dedicated for people like you to be successful in that process. We have another group called Allies. This is run by my sister who has done the work over the last few years of becoming an ally. We've had so many conversations and wrestling matches over you know, her straight privilege showing up and the prejudice stuff that she didn't even, she wasn't even aware of that she got to do the work. So anyway, now she's leading a group of people who are straight, who want to be allies or already are allies and doing the work of becoming better at showing up in that way. So there's that group available for people if they want to join there. We have, um, I have four specialized coaches on my team who do what we call spirit coaching. So they specifically help people. It's life coaching, but addressing the spirit behind it. Where is this coming from? What is the alignment in my life that is producing these results or these patterns? And how do I change this, disrupt it, rehabilitate our relationship with the truth? But that's the dedicated space for that. So if you want a one-on-one coach, um, we have that. Uh, I highly recommend it. We see so many amazing things happen in a short period of time. It doesn't take forever when you get to the root of where this stuff's coming from. It's not therapy. It's not counseling. This is coaching. So it's like result-driven, right? Um, so just understand that if that's something you're thinking about. Um, is there anything else? I have a resource page, like I mentioned. So you can go to my website and click on um, resources and then go to the queer, the LGBTQ plus resource page. And they're just a bunch of books that I've personally read. And I like gave little like one sentence synopsis of each and then also listed them in order if you wanted to start somewhere. Um, so that's a, a, to me like a very accessible uh, piece of internet that you can grab to just kind of go down this road of doing the work. And then, oh my gosh, I'm going to kick myself. I'm forgetting anything. I think that's the gist. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Thanks, Mike. And um, sure. I will make sure to have all that in the show notes for you guys so you can easily um, engage with Mike and his, his uh, classes and everything that he's doing. Um, so, mm-hmm. but I know you got to get out of here, Mike. We appreciate the time, man. It was a, it was a great conversation. Hopefully it encouraging and just, just a good bomb for, for somebody's mm-hmm. soul, you mm-hmm. know. So. For sure. Kyle, Jonathan, thank you for having me. Love that you guys are doing this. I so appreciate the work you're doing. Thank Absolutely, you so man. For, for coming on, for sure. Thank you. For sure. My pleasure. All right. All right. All right, guys. Well, thanks again for um, coming to the table. Thanks for leaning into this conversation. Um, check out Mike's stuff. Check out everything that he's doing. Um, he's, like he said, he's literally always putting out content on Instagram constantly really good stuff too um so engage with him um he he if you want to send him a message he he usually gets back to you um so yeah engage with him he's a great guy again has a great mustache so yeah anyways um thanks again um as always if you could do us a favor if you enjoy this podcast um it would uh, be a great gift and help us out if you would just leave us a review let us know what you think, and we will catch you guys next time on the Forever Podcast.